Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Rob Leslie, CEO and founder of Sidichi, an identity verification platform that's raised over $4 million in funding. Rob, thanks for chatting with me today. Great to be here, Brett. Yeah, so before we begin talking about what you're building, let's start with a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background. Yeah, great question. I've got, a, I suppose, a reasonably interesting background. Grew up in Ireland. Uh, I graduated having studied electronic engineering at, at uh, university. I immediately went to Japan, where... You know, I was planning to stay for maybe two, three years and was there for nearly 20 years. I worked for a number of Japanese companies, was headhunted by Dell when they were starting in, in Japan, learned an awful lot at, at Dell when I was there. And then after I left Dell, joined a startup, which we grew over the next four years and it got acquired in the early uh, 2000s. I came back to live in Ireland in 2003 and started a business with a friend of my brother's in the compliance space where we built a network connecting all the business registries around the world together into a single network. Because back in you know the early noughties, getting good information on companies and directors was an extremely difficult thing to do. So we just made it really, really easy for banks and insurance companies, other you know financial institutions that had compliance requirements to, to source that information. And it was probably along that journey that uh, I started looking into what became the kernel of uh, of Sidichi, which was all around trying to identify who people were reliably through a fully digital channel and preserving their privacy along the way. So we've been looking at, you know, different kinds of privacy enhancing technologies, things called zero knowledge proofs, and more recently, multi-party computations, and very recently, a thing called uh, messages con- computation um, which is a sort of new iteration of multi-party computation. Um, and I'll explain a little bit more in detail what these are later on. But it's some magic cryptography that allows you to do some very cool things with data uh, without the need to share the data. Nice. Well, yeah, let's dive into that in a second. But a couple of questions just so we can better understand you know, who you are as a CEO and as a founder. So what founder do you look up to the most? And uh, what we always tell guests here is it can't be Elon Musk because we were getting tired of hearing that one over and over again. Yeah, well, actually, probably, you know, one of the the founders that I was sort of took a lot of leadership from in my early career was a guy called uh, Akio Morita. He was a a Japanese founder. He was an engineer, very similar to me, an electrical engineer. And he was the founder of Sony. And I read a book called Made in Japan that he wrote probably in the mid 80s when he wrote it. But it described the whole journey that he went on you know, when he created Sony, and an extremely interesting read that it was, you know, his desire for miniaturization, you know, for taking really great ideas and turning them into, you know, superb products. And you probably see, you know, some of his ideals in how Apple has evolved in terms of its, you know, devotion to creating great customer experiences with its products. Um, So that was probably my first one. I think after that, you know, Dell had another big impact on me, Michael Dell and his way of marketing 
products, his innovations in the supply chain, uh, how to you know eliminate large amounts of inventory and and turn your stock in- incredibly quickly um, in order to save money. Again, very very clever in terms of how he applied these things. So, you know, I've got Japanese experiences and and U.S. and European experiences as well. So a lot of different things that I draw on at various times in my career. Nice. And what was it like for you, you know, being a foreigner doing business in Japan? All I know about that is, you know, I followed the, I can't remember his last name, but Carlos Gusan's case there. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. He was making a lot of claims about how Japan's not very friendly to foreigners doing business there. Is that true? Or what are your views there? I would say he's looking at that slightly through, you know, tainted glasses because of his experience. I never had anything but good experiences. You know, the Japanese are generally ex- Extremely trusting, um, very polite, very easy to do business with. As long as you're straight up and and you know you're pretty respectful of of them and of their products and their cultures and so on, that will be reciprocated. And I, I had nothing but good experiences all the way through. Um, having said that, they would be generally very conservative. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. And very, I suppose, slow to make decisions in some respects, but that is because generally they try to reach consensus before embarking on something because, you know, once you've got consensus, you know, everybody's marching in the same direction. It leads to much less turmoil and confusion later on, you know, provided you've got that agreement up front. So it's one of the things that I probably struggled with later on in my career because, you know, the first 20 years of my working life was in Japan. So all my sort of formative thinking would have been created during those years when my experiences would have dictated, you know, how I do things later on in life. So I spend quite a lot of time trying to ensure consensus is created and definitely try to be very respectful in my dealings with people. Uh, even when, you know, we have disagreements on various different things, you can disagree, but you, you know, still must be respectful of people's time and commitment and their passion as well. So, you know, that can cause problems sometimes because, you know, you get some brash Westerner who, you know, really wants to force his idea or her idea down your throat. And, you know, you've got to deal with that in the most respectful way possible. Interesting. That makes sense. I think that's really helpful context for us, you know, to better understand what makes you really tick as a founder and as an entrepreneur. And that's, you know, a perfect segue into what you're building today. So I know you touched on it a bit there at the start, but let's dive deeper there. What was the aha moment for you when you decided to really launch a company that, you know, is doing what you guys are doing today? I suppose for me, it was a personal experience. You know, I I got ripped off, actually. I fell victim to a scam. I, I ended up buying a quite an expensive camera on the web. And lo and behold, the camera never showed up and my money disappeared. And part of it was because, you know, I, I thought I was buying it from a real store, you know, a real person. And, you know, with a little bit of investigation, I was able to find out that it wasn't a real store. It wasn't a real person. Everything was completely fake. And I wanted to be able, I suppose, to help people figure out that the people you do business with, that you deal with online are real and that, you know, you can substantiate claims that they make about themselves and do this, you know, very easily, very quickly. I mean, we, we have got into a, a world today where a huge amount of our daily lives are conducted through online channels. And, you know, we can do pretty much anything we want without ever meeting anyone. And as a consequence, you know, we're seeing fraud and, and scams increase at a phenomenal rate at the moment. I mean, if, if I said to you that, the criminal economy is the third largest economy in the world. 
It's worth somewhere between five and six trillion dollars globally. You know, you probably fall off your chair going, really? That much? And it is that much when you add all of all the different forms of crime that are committed. And a huge amount of it is done online. So what I wanted to do was to create a, a platform that made it easy for anyone to verify that the person or business they were dealing with was genuine. And that's what we've sought to do using you know, the technology that we've developed, um, using some of this cool cryptography, as I mentioned earlier, the zero-knowledge proofs and multi-party computations. And what these things do, essentially, is they, they allow you to prove things to somebody without having to disclose the underlying information um, or to compute something without having to disclose the information used in that computation. So a simple example would be, I can prove to you that my driver's license has a date of birth that makes me over 18 or over 21, but I don't have to disclose my date of birth to you. So I'm protecting my privacy in the act of communicating something about myself that you need maybe to provide me with a service, which could be, you know, providing me with a bottle of wine that I'm, I want to buy online or something like that. So it's taken a long time to, I suppose, get to the point where people are realizing that privacy really does matter. You know, it probably was the 2016 US election when Trump got elected and Facebook and Cambridge Analytica started, you know, using people's data in ways that had never been imagined or intended and in, you know, not good ways either. So, you know, people started to realize the value of data and how that data could be used in both good ways and bad ways and ways that could damage them ultimately. So what we've come up with essentially is a platform that allows, you know, a whole bunch of pretty cool computations to, to happen, things like credit scoring or risk scoring or, you know, being able to compile a health record on somebody from a multitude of different places without ever having to see the raw data or to put all that raw data together. So I'm able to, you know, preserve your privacy, but still deliver the value that you want, you know, in ordering a drug or whatever it is that you want online in order to fix a, you know, an illness or a disease that you might have. Interesting. You know, I've been talking about that a lot with my girlfriend whenever we order wine um, or, you know, whenever we order alcohol, you know, that's the process where, you know, someone comes and delivers it and then I have to literally give them my ID and then they sit there and take pictures of it. I don't know if they're actually taking pictures of it in the app or if they're just, you know, have their camera open and they're taking pictures of it. And I've talked about how I just feel very violated every time I have to do that because I just gave some random person, you know, my ID number, my address, all of that information, which I really don't want to share. Yeah, exactly. And that is exactly the problem that we're trying to solve. I mean, there you're putting your blind trust in in that delivery person that they're not going to do anything that they shouldn't do with the the ID information that you've given them. But you shouldn't have to put yourself in that position. You should be able to, you know, allow them to scan your ID, for example, and just get a, a confirmation that says, you know, bread is, you know, over 21 or whatever, whatever the, the check is, without ever seeing or capturing any of the other pieces of information because it's irrelevant to them. They don't care. They don't care what your name is, they don't care where you live. All they care about is that you're over the age of consent for whatever service or product you're you're buying. And, you know, it could be medicinal drugs, it could be alcohol, it could be guns, it could be, you know, cigarettes, a whole bunch of controlled products, for example, that you need to be able to verify who somebody is and that, you know, it is appropriate for them to be able to consume that product or service. And just so I could visualize it, you know, let's say if, you know, in that ordering experience, you know, it's through DoorDash, 
What does that experience look like for me as the consumer? You know, what would I be sharing with them so that they could, you know, validate that I'm 21? And then, you know, what is, you know, DoorDash doing or how can they have confidence to make sure that, you know, they aren't getting in trouble for selling to someone who's under 21? Yeah, so there's a number of ways that you could do it. One is, you know, obviously what you've just described where, you know, you flash your driver's license, um, a scan of that would take place and, and they'd return a result to say, yep, you know, Brett's a good guy. He's over the right age. But equally, you could just say, you know, my name is Brett and I was born on, you know, the 1st of January, 1960, just for argument's sake. It would be great if DoorDash could take that information and go to an authority somewhere, which, you know, might be a state agency and say, I've got this individual who's claiming his date of birth is this. And they could return a result that says, yeah, that is a genuine individual. And here's what he looks like. And they give you back a photograph. And when the delivery guy shows up at your door, he looks at the photograph that he's been served and compares it to the guy he's giving the bottle of wine to. And if they match, he now knows that he's got the real person who's been approved over a particular age. And and he's, he's learned nothing more about you because he's got a copy of your face, which he has anyway, because he's able to see it. And as soon as that transaction is complete, you can forget. You can just forget forget about the photograph. It's done. And you, you don't need to uh, hold on to it anymore. Got it. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Wow, that's really cool. And who is adopting this technology right now? Is there you know, a specific market where you're seeing the most adoption? Well, obviously, any regulated uh, sector has a need to do this. So probably our biggest, we have two customer segments, I suppose. Financial services is one where any bank, uh, credit union, when they open an account for somebody has to verify who they are. And you know, for transactions over a certain amount, in order to stop money laundering, there's, again, a, a huge number of checks that take place to make sure that you are who you say you are. Mm-hmm. The second area that we've seen a lot of growth in is any organization that has children working in sort of close proximity to adults to make sure that you know, the adults don't have any criminal convictions for you know, child molestation or anything that could put the children at risk. So again, doing background checks on individuals in a very seamless private way is something that we've seen quite a sizable growth in. And it was COVID actually that kicked it off because previously a lot of these checks would have been done face to face where you'd literally show up and and present your ID over a counter to somebody. But when COVID came about, that all had to move online. And uh, again, being able to do all of these checks through a channel that was privacy sensitive, that gave you back the result that you needed in order to, you know, facilitate the enablement of a, of a service to children was going to be really, really helpful. So we've seen a, a lot of growth in that area as well. Mm, got it. That makes a lot of sense. And what's next for you guys? You know, where do you go from here? What are you most excited about over the next, let's say, six to 12 months? Great question. So we've embarked on a project with an organization called Nillion. Um, and Nillion is a decentralized network that allows a piece of information to be fragmented and distributed across a network and processed as if it was all together, but you never put it back together. And they're using technology that we've created that, that sort of facilitates all this. And what we think this is going to do is make a huge impact on areas where security, uh, the sensitivity of information um, is paramount. So think about things like credit card data or passwords or private keys for crypto wallets, where I don't want any single party having access to the entirety of that information. Uh, What our technology allows to happen is to take that information, 
and break it up into many little pieces, a bit like a jigsaw puzzle, and then store all of those pieces of the puzzle on different servers all over the world. Now, you would think that in order to process all of that information, I have to bring it all back together. But the beauty of our technology is that you don't. You can leave it all fragmented and still process your credit card payment as if that information was brought back together, but it never does come back together. It stays in fragmented form. And because of that, it makes it very, very hard for a hacker to be able to steal that information and use it because just by hacking one server, they just get one piece of the puzzle. They've got to get all of the pieces in order to make sense of it. And that's a really, really hard thing to do. Mm, got it. That makes a lot of sense. And in terms of you know breaking through all the noise here, are there any specific things that you've done to really rise above all that noise? You know, as I'm sure you're aware, you know, funding is just booming right now. Startups are raising crazy money. How are you rising above all that noise? That's a really hard thing to do, but you've got to try and create some uniqueness for yourself. And I think you know what we've so far been able to do is demonstrate that the technology that we've created really is special. You know, and I, I use the analogy of baking a cake quite a lot. You know, in order to be successful in business, a lot of things have to come together for you and, and really, really work. And, you know, the baking the cake analogy is you got to have the right ingredients in the right amounts mixed together for the right amount of time in the oven for the right length of time at the right temperature. And if you do all of those things well, you're going to get a great cake. And business is no different. You've got to have product, you've got to have team, you've got to have funding, you've got to have promotion, and you've got to have the opportunity. And if you can bring all of those things together and get them to coalesce, you know, in the right amounts at the right time, you will actually end up with a really successful business. And the challenge is getting them all to come together at the right time. Um, you know, and I won't profess to have the magic solution that allows you to do that. You know, it's a moving feast. Every day you think you've got it and suddenly it shifts again and, and you know, you've got to go run after it. And uh, yeah, it's a challenge, um, but one that I enjoy getting up every day to run after. Nice. Well, last question here for you. What does excite you most about what you get to do every day? Well, I think for me, it's the impact that this technology is going to have on people's lives. It's one of those things that, you know, it's a little bit like plumbing in a house. You know, when you turn on the tap, the water just arrives. But, you know, within the walls of your house and, and the street outside, there's a lot of very complex pipework that allows all that to happen. And what we're creating here essentially is the plumbing that allows some very complex processes to take place that ultimately are going to make people's lives better, um, the data that they provide safer, and ultimately secure their financial futures because you know nobody's going to be able to show up and rip you off by being able to hack into your bank account or steal your identity or rob your credit card and, and start processing payments. So we just want to make the world a slightly safer place or maybe a lot safer place by making this technology available to everybody to use. And, you know, there's still a lot of work to do, but I think we're in a really good place. Uh, some of the partners that we have are, you know, really well positioned to do that. And hopefully we've got the right ingredients uh, in the cake tin and, uh, you know, we're about to stick it in the oven and hopefully get the temperature right so that we end up with a good business at the end of the day. Nice. That's amazing. I love it. Unfortunately, that's all we're going to have time to cover for today. But before we wrap, if people want to follow along with your journey, where's the best place for them to go? Yeah, the best place, probably the web, you know, www.sedici.com, S-E-D-I-C-I-I.com. 
or we'll be on Facebook as well or Twitter. You'll find us there. So just do a search on Sadiqi and you'll find a bunch of stuff uh, about us. Equally, the project I mentioned there at the end called Nillion, if you do a search on Nillion, I think you're going to find a whole bunch of very interesting stuff as well. N-I-L-L-I-O-N. And uh, look us up. I'd be very happy to engage with anybody. Amazing. Well, Rob, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it and wish you best of luck in executing on this vision. My pleasure, Brett. It was great talking to you today. Thank you. All right. Keep in touch. Take care.